today on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. Brian Abernathy and Ben Seals unpack chapters three and four of Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. So chapter three, work is cultivation. Um, I mean, again, it's kind of an interesting, we, we see so many agrarian themes throughout scripture because that's very much the world at that point in time. I mean, not really even that part of the world, but the world as a whole was agrarian, right? They didn't have supply chain. They just had, uh, is it in the field or not? Um, but it's, uh, and this is not in my notes, it just kind of is in my head is, that reality too, like we see that imagery in work and we see that from the onset in the garden, but then we see uh, in the gospels and in Paul's writings, the, the picture of that as evangelism in, in that context as well, cultivating, planting seeds, watering, right? Like that sort of picture. So um, I don't have any great conclusion with that, but other than just that, like the, the spiritual work that we're called to and the physical work that we're called to, there, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of, I, I think by design, overlapping connectivity in that because, um, as I said real briefly last week, like it says in Colossians, like Jesus came to restore all things to himself, not just the hearts of those whom he would save, but creation, right? To, to take the, the tree and, and do more with the tree for a greater, higher purpose than it would be just a tree. Not that trees are bad, um, but um, that formless and void context. So um, I, I love that agrarian gardening mentality. And um, I've kind of joked with some guys here at Emmaus, like if there's a, a persistent reminder of sin and that everything in the world is falling apart naturally. It's a lawn right? And like your yard is just evidence that it doesn't matter. Things are going to go bad. Like there's going to be weeds and you can't spray enough to keep them gone. There's going to be ants and it like just all that stuff. So I love this analogy. I also happen to enjoy gardening and um, something that we do as a family, but um, sort of the nature of the the thorns and thistles, right? Uh, As we look at cultivating I think there's two distinct aspects of that that at least for me and my work uh, are very, very persistent. Uh, And you've got this one avenue where you've got encroaching uh, disruption, right? The things, the weeds, I've got ivy in my yard um, and ivy is like the, the, it's like a Chinese finger trap of, of mess, right? Because uh, I love accomplishment stuff around the house. So it's like, you can go out and like, pull up some ivy, which you just pretty much have to pull it up by the roots, right? And you pull and it's like 15 feet away, this piece of ivy moves because it's just this web that's so entangled and enmeshed that it's like you're never going to get rid of it. And so you work and work and work and it's all gone and it's like, oh, awesome. Now real plants can grow rather than this stuff that was like up over the end of my house when we moved in. Uh, But 18 months later, it's all back. Right. And you didn't you didn't do anything to get it there, but it's just coming back and it's pushing in. And then at the same time, I can walk 50 feet to the other side of my yard where we've got our vegetable gardens and uh, blueberries and strawberries, all the stuff we love to grow that our kids like to eat. And we've intentionally dug out these spots uh, and pulled out all the weeds and all the grass and put 
you know, weed cloth down and put in good soil and planted <clears throat> in the right spacing, in the right sunlight, all this stuff. And you go out and you weed it and you water it and you fertilize it and you can't get a freaking strawberry to grow. It's like I can't stop the ivy, but I have to work and work and work and work to get just a little bit uh, out of what I want. And I think the, the work that we're called to in cultivating in our jobs, whatever that might be, is constantly that struggle. Um, uh, and I think there's a lot of, of theological depth to that, but it's that the enemy wants to destroy, right? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and we're called to be instruments of reconciliation. So we run into that tension, um, and it's just, it's exhausting, right? Um, and in that, we find, I, I think, uh, we start off here at the beginning of, uh, of the chapter. It talks about filling and subduing the earth. And the first sentence in the chapter uh, is talking about culture. And um, uh, I, again, I'll harken back to Proverbs. Uh, you see a lot of this agrarian verbiage throughout Proverbs as well. But Proverbs, as I look at it, is very much a intentionally countercultural perspective. Uh, it's talking about the wisdom of God in contrast to the wisdom of the world. Um, and culture, I uh, looked up the definition, uh, the arts and other manifestations of human intelligence, uh, uh, human intellectual ach- um, achievement, I can't read my own handwriting, the art and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. So even in that, the definition of the word culture is celebrating the accomplishments of man, right? Uh, just by by how Oxford defines it. Whereas what we want to think towards in our work is pursuing the calling of the Lord and working to do things that are going to bring glory to Him. And so we end up in this against the current, not just of the natural process of the world, but against the current of the culture around us that um, just doesn't carry that mindset. Um, And... uh, this is where uh, I think we'll get on into some of the questions uh, of uh, this idea. I love, uh, what's the guy's name? I'm going to forget it. James and his jams in this chapter, right? Where it's like, man, he just, the guy saw something that was dying, something that was rotting, that was naturally going to waste, and had the vision and the perspective to see the opportunity and the, the beauty, uh, the enjoyment in something that was otherwise uh, rotting. So it was going and stepping into that tension of things are going awry, but there's an opportunity, or where is the opportunity for beauty uh, and something to be celebrated uh, out of that? Um, so, uh, uh, you want questions through chapter three and then we'll shift over? So, uh, I'm interested uh, just where in your world, uh, or in, do you in your world, see something or encounter something in the work you do that's a raw form, kind of like the formless and void of creation when God spoke everything into existence and then turned a great deal of the growth of that over to Adam to lead in. Um, What do you see in raw form that you see further down the road? What are those things, whether it's a process, who knows what it is, where you have the ability to see or recognize or bring forth the potential 
uh, or redeem the potential out of something that's rotting on the vine or sitting, you know, formless like the tree, right? That could be who knows what else. So, um, so do you see the jam when you see the rotting fruit is the question. And what is, what is that paradigm? So I, I, um, I'll try to answer it as an example. Um, I, I do a pretty good job of seeing fractured operational practices and being able to connect where systems need to integrate and overlap from a, from a personnel standpoint, not technology. Don't, don't get me into that space, but um, just that stuff for some reason comes natural to me. Is that a good sample answer? No. And I'm seeing those fruits. Yeah. I'm seeing some rutted fruit until it's jammed. I'm just kind of seeing that starting to get yard. Yeah. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yeah, you talk about like operational fractures or things that don't operate right. Like I kind of see patterns where like systems and procedures are needed in order for like a restaurant to veggies or I see dirt build up or I see poor customer service and then there's no system for there's obviously there's a system here last year there's not a system for cleaning this up there's not a system for doing your prep there's not a system for training for customer service so I think that's kind of I don't know if that kind of falls in the same vein but that's kind of what one thing I see when I walk into a into a business is, is when there's a breakdown of something that's not being done right there's not a system or procedure there but then I kind of see the future of like, okay, you put this in place, like we can have a, a, a really clean, clean place for our customers to eat. We have uh, fresh, fresh food. We have enough food, um, and we have smiling, happy uh, uh, team members that are that are welcoming guests in. And then I see comps continue to rise because people because it's a great place to come in and eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. somebody like we have an office manager and, and she does a fantastic job of helping organize people when they come into the office make sure they, they're connected with the right people they got what they need you know there's so many of these little functions even like when you're I say onboarding because I do a little bit of that as well but creating all of these systems or processes like you're saying to make sure that it's scalable to the business 
lot of those things were, were necessary evils to put in place. People always don't like them, but those are things that help you know the overall value of the organization continue to grow over time because it was building part of the culture of within the office and how to treat people and how do we do things here, the standards in place. Um, so I think those are always what I like to think of as things that mm. kind of happen throughout a business that are um, you would smile on your face and see things worth working with you doing make a difference. Uh, make a big difference. Yeah. I'm able to, I guess, take whatever jumbled up uh, communication they give me and kind of paint a picture and hopefully describe it back to them in a way where they can start, uh, I don't know, it kickstarts their idea and, and hopefully develops in like an inspired space. Yeah. You get to do that in a little bit more physically visible, yeah. tangible way than some of the others. Yeah. That's cool. Anybody else? So in those places, whether it's those of you that answered or others that are thinking about it, do you see to go down to, uh, and hopefully I just realized all these questions on my page are question number one, so hopefully they're not all question number one for y'all. Um, uh, question five talks about how does your daily work, paid or unpaid, carry out the cultural mandate of forming, filling, ruling, and bringing order out of chaos. We talked a little bit, especially about that order out of chaos, <clears throat> which is kind of like that's one of those things to me that just is fun, right? Like getting to fix the broken stuff. I don't know why. Um, but as you look at those things, either collectively or one or the other, are you able to connect that to the bigger picture thing, service, environment, whatever it is, uh, the outcome that your work is cultivating, whether or not you see the fruit in what you do on a daily basis. Are you able to connect that? And if you are, would love to hear, are or aren't, if you are, would love to hear how you see that progression. If you're either at the place where that final fruit and the, and, the, and the win is there, or if you're disconnected from it, uh, how you're able to see that. Or if you have a barrier and just can't see that. Um, would love to hear perspective and uh, sort of some, some real-world spots that you all find yourselves uh, in that. So I'll throw a simple answer out to get us started. Um, I think one of the areas where I struggle is um, I have I have the opportunity to work for um, a bunch of doctors, uh, most of which I believe are unbelievers. Uh, but my job is primarily to make them more money. And at the end of the day, that is a real struggle because that's the, while business economics and data and growth and managing income statements is stuff that I'm passionate about. It's not tied. You know, it's it's never enough for them um, and. It's always like pretty impressive for me what our team's been able to accomplish. And so that's a tension that 
I kind of have to like wrestle with often as a perspective of I get to I get to work and be diligent and create and do all these things, but then the ultimate fruit of that is um, a lot of different things. But at the culmination of the bottom line, it's payment to doctors who don't really appreciate all that goes into making that happen. Um, the the flip side of that, where I have a right perspective and where I am connected, is my my biggest passion. You know, Pete, to what you were talking about, is seeing the countless employees at Thomas I Group who have been able to find themselves and find careers in our organization and seeing them develop and grow and the opportunity that I get to be connected and play a role in their development and growth. So that's one of the areas of tension that I find just like my ultimate job is to carry out the strategy of the organization, which is to make the shareholders more money. Um, that doesn't really breed fruit for me um, or get me motivated. At the end of the day, the opportunity to see people bear fruit and to see them grow and develop um, is where I see God's grace in my work and working through me to bring some of that to fruition. So, hmm. anybody else where you're Forming, filling, ruling, or bringing order out of chaos. Connecting that to the bigger picture. What you're talking about reminds me of something like I kind of, it changed the way I approach work and really anything that requires effort. Uh, I, it was some guy I was listening to and he was talking about like, you know, in the biblical narrative, there is that order chaos and we're like this humanity is like in a garden trying to extend the boundary into the wilderness of bringing order to that chaos and I'm like it, it something about it clicked and it made sense to me in the in the in the field of like doing laundry and sweeping floors and doing dishes and taking care of my kids and eating better and exercising and doing the stuff at work taking like meeting my wife emotionally like just that is it, it like I'm kind of a strange person in the way that I think but it energized me to think of it as war like mm. this is war against chaos I am the I'm like on the edge between chaos and order and and I can my choices move it one way or the other or lack of choices you know can move it back this way and it just, something about that made it divine work. Something about that made it like, doing the laundry is divine work. You know, if I don't do it, what does my house look like? How do my kids feel? How mm -hmm. do I feel about my dirty house? How do I feel? And then go out and I interact with people, I carry that with me, you know? So it just became this like, everything that I'm doing is that battle to push order forward. And you can even go further if you always spiritually like it's also the kingdom of God wherever God rules because each time I make those choices that push the boundary further there's more order behind me than it's in front of me and it's like in chaos and I'm trying to push it forward mm. me. but that's where God rules I make, I'm making choices in obedience I would rather sit and watch TV but I could also get up and do a load of laundry <laughs> you know like 
So it, it was just made super mundane things, like I sit down and then you can even like, if you got a better attitude about it, or I would have a better attitude to listen to a podcast at the same time I'm doing that, stuff like that. And so, you know, I, that's, it, it gave me, Yeah. Because you know? it's, it, it, I'm not always in that mindset. Many times in the mindset of, I got to do this again. But again, I've got three little kids that just go around and destroy everything nonstop. <laughs> Especially now that it's summer. There's Legos everywhere. There's like dust bunnies in the corner. They leave the doors open constantly. <laughs> the lights are on. They're off. They're, it's just like, like, it gets like that. And I'm just like, you know, like it, I'm probably going to lose some ground this summer. But at least I'm going to walk around and flip the lights. Yeah. And, and it, I won't lose as much, you know, whatever. That's awesome. That's uh, the, the, this next to last question for chapter three. A biblical understanding of work energizes our desire to create value from the resources available. I mean, that's, yeah, folded towels are better than a pile in the corner, yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> awesome um so uh what do you see rotting what do you encounter rotting on a daily basis and how could you lean into addressing that how can you cultivate that area and the work that you do, whether it's work at home, work paid or unpaid, right? Um, where's the rotting spot? For me, it's, the, it's in a classroom, it's the time not used. Uh, so if you ever go watch a teacher or observe a teacher, uh, the good teachers always have their students doing something. Um, and the moment the students aren't doing something, uh, that's when kids get in trouble. How do you combat that? Uh, you have to combat that by having something planned in the front of it. So yeah. you have to make sure that, for me, I over plan. So I always 
have enough where uh, classes are 55 minutes, I always make sure that I'm going to go to 55 minutes or go over it. If I don't get everything done, then I'm not worried about it. Uh, and I'll just start fresh the next day. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else? Some clients where other other craftsmen have been in, they complain about it a lot. It's like this is falling apart. This guy was just here a month ago, and that seems to be going on a lot. And I think it's just because they they don't have that um, having vision of work. It's uh, it's just I mean it's for me. Let's get it get the job done as quickly as possible with the cheapest materials. Just kind of be a greaseball about it and then get out. Um, I don't know how to take this. I mean, to not just use better materials and do a better job, but I think like person to person, something's yeah. got to change there. Yeah. You could be different. And it sounds like you are. Kind but yeah, yeah. That's cool. Anybody else? Yeah, I'm struggling with if, if I should say this or how I should say it, but I think the root is on the edges of me. And that if I'm not uh, staying focused on being just in the world and not of the world, and all types of codes and the loudness and the, sometimes the attractiveness of um, the, the open world, it comes back to me. Hmm. How does the, the mindset of cultivation and that, you know, like we talked about preparing soil, planting, watering, all of this long road of effort up to a harvest, how does that perspective of work change the way you think about or should maybe think about and approach what you do? Little pieces of that have come through in different places, but... Uh, where has that been a paradigm shift for you as you thought about this over the past few days or hours or however long it was since you read it? I think it's just the difference between an owner's and an employee's mindset. Right? Like you kind of mentioned, it's a second ago, it's the fabrication work. <coughs> you had somebody that doesn't have the man time in the business or they, they're just there to cut the paycheck and put this down and then get out of here. There's no quality component to I mean, it's not like it's really like, like it needs more gear, right? Mm. So like we we take the approach as consumers that we're also carrying the carrying across for an active choice every day to do something the right way, to try to fix it and treat people the right way. I think that resonates a lot in the way that we work and the way that our interaction with the people we interact with. It sounds like the majority of everybody in this room interacts with people mostly, right? From their sales account management to something like that. I think the way that we treat our teams, the way that we treat those around us, the way that we treat those in the office, you know, the way you treat your clients if you're, you're working on their cars, right? I think it's like 
that that matters, you know, and everything that we kind of implanted in. Like what you said about the uh, ownership aspect, um, I heard somebody, you know, Lloyd, kind of back to what you were saying at one point in time, I was listening to some podcast or some preacher, and um, they said, look, wherever wherever you work, you work for an audience of one. Like, and ultimately, it's not the supervisor or the boss that's in that role that you report to, but the audience that you're working for is ultimately the God who you're going to give an account to the work that you do. So whether it's cheap materials and shoddy work or the way that you treat people or the way that you cultivate people or the way that you interact with your kids or your wife or your, your spouse or your, um, you know, the people in and around your community, like we're accountable to one person for all of that. Um, and, and that idea makes me slow down a little bit and be a little more thoughtful in the interactions, be a little more thoughtful in the words that I convey or the way that we carry or I carry um, myself and my work and so that oh, that challenge of you know being in that place um, you know it kind of it, it changes the perspective of like I can repair cars for God I can't repair cars because I don't know a thing about mechanics we talked about this last time Brian likes to work in his yard and I love to pay somebody to do that because I don't do it well <laughs> um, like it, it's the way we're wired is all different, but ultimately, whatever you're doing, there's an opportunity to serve the Lord in the way that you do it. It's repairable in the town, right? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. It's stewardship. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Go ahead. One thing that's really helped me is First Corinthians 3 7. Uh, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God makes all things. Mm hmm. So I remember that my part may be the planting or maybe the watering. It doesn't matter. I have to do my part. Yep. I, I'm responsible for that. But ultimately, those times when I've seen been the most fulfilled in my work is when I rec recognize that, hey, this really worked out great. Didn't I do awesome? But it, it wasn't me, right? I, I did my part. Somebody else did their part. Somebody else did their part. And it all came together because the Lord blessed it, right? I mean, it was and you can see his fingerprints all over whatever job it is that I'm, I'm doing or I'm responsible for. It's kind of fun, right? Because ultimately then it's who gets the glory out of it. And it's not me. I played my role, but it was all about his glory. And it puts me in, a, in the right perspective of who I am in yeah. front of a holy God. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, as I transitioned in my career from full-time ministry to the private sector, that paradigm was really hard because in the ministry world, right, it's, oh yeah, the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that, you know, we, we can, uh, at high school outreach, worked for Young Life for years. Um, I, I can go tell high school kids about Jesus, but like, it's the Holy Spirit that changes their hearts, right? I just like, I just put the reps in. You know, and then I got to the private sector and it was like, no, I worked my butt off and that's why. And it just totally like, man, unearthed my arrogance and my pride. And, you know, like, like I was the rotten fruit, right? To go back to your example, Pete, like, uh, and <clears throat> that was in my heart when I was doing ministry. It was just really easy to whitewash that and say, oh, it's the Lord that makes the, 
you know, it has nothing to do with me. And then inside my heart, it's like, man, I'm good at this, right? Um, so that's, that's huge. Yeah. And you're right. It's, I recognize my arrogance. And that's so destructive, right? To just touring. I, there's no way. How did I? And then looking back, oh my goodness. Even in, in my praise to the Lord, I was being arrogant, thinking that I had something to do with uh, yeah. results, right? Uh, yeah. And that's, and that's why I cling to that verse so often. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Yep. God. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I had a really great uh, uh, sort of off-the-cuff opportunity to dive into this a little bit. Monday night, I was out to dinner uh, with a leadership team for a client I was working or uh, am working with. Um, and just in <clears throat> course of conversation, getting to know them a little bit, um, one of the guys on their team said, hey, well, how'd you, how'd you end up in... Uh, this world doing uh, capital campaign consulting um, and kind of was uh, just kind of talking through how I got to that uh, and was able to to kind of explain that process of here's the work I do but I don't ever see the fruit right so uh, this is an economic development group in Spokane Washington and uh, they do uh, efforts to grow and attract jobs to the area, um, both for the jobs and the capital investment, which is more jobs, right? Paying people to do stuff. They've got talent uh, strategies for attraction, retention, development of workforce, focused on very underserved populations in their community to go work with them to, to address disparities in access to education, to get them connected to jobs that they otherwise might not have a, a pathway to or an awareness to. And, and got to share with this client's team, I, I can't do what you do. I can't lobby, uh, you know, to, to remove these barriers that keep um, uh, formerly, uh, what's the, I'm trying to think of the PC word, justice engaged individuals, uh, uh, returning citizens from, from prison and jail, right? I, I can't lobby to clear the path so it's easier for those folks to get jobs. I can't go work with a, a low to moderate income community to identify and address the barriers to educational attainment and career placement. I don't have the first clue about how to, how to work to attract a manufacturer to an area, but the work that that team does will legitimately impact the dignity of thousands of lives in their community. I'll never meet any of those folks. I'll never see any of those folks but I'm really good at looking at a process to tell them what steps to take to go out and find the money so they can do it. So like for me, it was just so, uh, so interestingly timed that that question came up uh, on Monday night as I had been kind of thinking and preparing for this on my trip out there um, of seeing that, that culmination. And, and I think for, I know for a fact for every single one of us for, for the work that we do, there is a much bigger picture of the value it provides uh, and, and the cultivation that bears fruit that's so much further beyond the spot that we might be involved, uh, whether it's one we're excited about or not. Um, and uh, it took me a while to get my head to that point, 
where it was not, as you were saying a minute ago, Mike, it was not me focused of what, what can I deliver? What can I accomplish? Right. Because it's like we all, all get in a place where we want advancement, right? Uh, every one of us want to grow in what we're doing. There's not anything wrong or bad about that um, at all, but the focal point of it is the key. And it's, um, I feel so much more at ease with what I do every day, knowing that like I, I can trust the Lord. And this comes and goes. Please don't think that I have this figured out and every day is this way. But the days like that in the midst of a couple of really frustrating weeks, it's like, man, that's cool. You know, like um, if I get to kind of share that picture with this group of folks who I would wager very heavily uh, probably are not believers, probably do not have eternal perspective uh, on the value of what uh, they do every day, um, that's a good kind of wind in the sails and that reminder of there's, there's something the Lord's going to do. There's something the Lord's planting and growing uh, based on my obedience and cultivating just with, with what he's put in front of me, um, not because of anything that I'm particularly spectacular at, but just the place that he put me. Um, that's, the, that's the real beauty to me out of this picture of cultivation and how that plays in. Uh, to the work we do, and I, I think even beyond that, to the relationships we have uh, with with neighbors and friends, and, and and you know, I think probably for a lot of us, hobbies and things that we find ourselves connected to as well. Um, going back to that picture of culture, right? The arts and other manifestation of human intellectual achievement, regarded collectively. I think there is uh, in our cultivation a um, a kingdom culture that we get to carry into the work we do, whether it's a classroom or a uh, manufacturing line or whatever it is, there's a place that we can go and look at the work we do differently, interact with customers that are used to sloppy contractors differently um, because we're doing it with the stewardship and an ownership mindset, kind of like you said, Tyler, of uh, it's not in my hands. It's, it's, it's mine to be faithful with, but there's so much more uh, that happens from a, a significant spiritual perspective in the work we do and the people that are interacted uh, with and impacted by it. So, um, yeah. Well, that's a very interesting and unplanned segue because um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of uh, walk us through in chapter four is uh, on page 55. So there, were, there was lots of Luther in chapter 4. I don't know if you guys picked up on that theme, but um, I, I do think it's a bit uh, interesting. So I think I, I told you guys my undergrad's in history. Um, so I somehow did an undergrad in history expecting to go to seminary and wound up running an organization um, by the grace of God. So um, my history background and just wiring always has me thinking about things uh, from a timeline perspective. And so I, I, as I read this book over and over again, I think about how he spends so much time quoting Luther, and then there's like this vacuum, which is really not true, because if you go back and read some of the stuff that happened during the Great Awakening and some of the Puritans, like that Puritan work ethic, although it's super hard to read, um, it really does resonate a lot with this book. Uh, Keller does a great job translating it into modern English instead of whatever they said they spoke back then. But ultimately, um, 
you know, I, I think it's interesting that there is so much Luther, but one of the, the more modern quotes that um, he cites on page 55, about two-thirds of the way down, uh, is from Robert Bella, and it talks about work as a vocation or calling, a contribution to the good of all, not merely a means of one's own advancement to one's self-fulfillment and power. I think that's exactly what Brian is saying, right? Like our, our work is an opportunity to serve the people around us. Our work is an opportunity to engage with, you know, you, you shared a story about, you know, the clients you were working with. Um, and I will preface this by saying this does not happen very often. And so this is why it was so profound for me. Um, folks that I had been playing with, you know, that our kids had been playing baseball with for three years now. So fall and spring from 2019 through now, kind of disruptive, but our families have grown close. Like they were like, hey, what are you doing this summer? And I was like, well, I'm teaching a class in my church. And they're like, you're doing what? Um, and, and so like that opportunity to engage and talk to them and um, talk to them about where we go to church, like that opportunity to serve them through what we were doing Sunday afternoon and hanging out and playing at a baseball tournament and being together with them, like our work and the things that the Lord puts in our path are opportunities for us to introduce him to a world that's watching and looking for that stability, for that meaning, for that hope that they have lost and has come cratering down over the last 24 months. Um, I feel like the last couple of weeks have just been packed with that for me personally in a way that is not normal, um, to be completely honest. And, and, um, is probably unfortunately absent, but, um, just want to share, like, as we remember, and as I've had the opportunity in preparing for these and reading the book again, remembering that the work that I do and the places where the Lord has put me, called me, made my vocation, right? Um, I, I think one of the quotes in the book is, you know, the difference between a job and a vocation is that somebody calls you to a vocation. And ultimately, as we work for our audience of one, as we work as unto the Lord, like he has called us wherever we are. Job, kids, family, city, house, neighborhood, whatever, like the Lord has intentionally placed us there. And there's an opportunity for us to serve the people that are around us in that neighborhood or in that spectrum or sphere of influence in our life. So as we look at work as service, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles that he works through here. And there's, there's a, a, a lot of real meat in some of the stories that he tells and some of the opportunities. But I wanted to kind of focus our attention on three specific things. Um, and, and the first is, um, it, it's all the way through to page... Um, uh, 61, where he starts talking about, so from, from the beginning of the chapter through about page 61, he's talking about vo vocation and work and calling. Um, he he kind of dispels this whole idea of sacred and secular or um, ministry and private. And, and we, we've talked about it in different ways. And I think it, it I always had the perspective, especially as I, I got saved pretty dramatically um, in college. And so I thought, okay, well, this dramatic event must be driving me to go into ministry, hence history degree and seminary plan. Um, because I thought that's what was holy and I thought that was right. And I thought that was the only way that I could serve the Lord was to go into full-time ministry 
And it took me a long time to realize that the work that I do, the job that I have, it took me reading this book and being in community to recognize like my work is not just a secular thing. It's not undignifying, whatever it is. I mean, I've had a lot of different roles. I've you know done everything from deliver pizzas to run industrial uh, air separation plants. So like all over the spectrum of just random um, for a kid with a history degree, like obviously somebody was moving the strings behind the scenes uh, and it wasn't me. So, um, you know, I think that that idea of vocation and calling is really um, something that has resonated with me and has helped provide me comfort in the midst of the chaos of work and amidst of the friction that is there in any role or in any job, um, the frustration that's there, those times where you're like, if I could just walk out, like I might. Um, and we have those days. Um, you know, I, I can remember uh, February of 2020, actually, I was at that place in my job um, and was actively updating my resume and sending my resume out. And um, the Lord very clearly um, spoke to me and said, you're not done, stop and stay put. Um, I didn't know why and I fought against it and wasn't super excited to be obedient. Um, but a month and a half later, I figured out why. Um, and it was to, to be at that organization and not leave that our organization in without leadership and, and not leave my position open through the pandemic. Um, and ultimately, there's a lot of blessing that my family has received and I've received professionally that I would have walked away from if I hadn't been obedient in that moment. Um, so, you know, our, our work and our calling, our vocation is something that the Lord orchestrates and he puts us in the places that we are. Um, and so I really want to challenge and encourage each of you not to take the role that you're in or the place that you're at for granted. Um, look at, you know, where and why you're there and be prayerful about um, the decisions you make about your employment because it matters to the Lord where he has you, the people that he surrounds you with, the opportunities to speak into campaigns or talk to people or interact with families. And um, so take that opportunity. It's a service, right? Work is a service. So um, that was the first few pages of the, of the chapter. Um, next, he talks about vocation and the gospel. So a um, couple things that I really want to, you know, kind of just draw your attention to. Um, one is this idea that like the gospel and the fact that our value and our worth are not found in what we produce. Like that is such an American ideal and it's very much a 19th century forward ideal. Like there are times in the past where people actually got this a lot better than we do, but like we're so busy, we're so on and so connected and so always available and industrialization and modern economies and all the different resources and amenities that we have available to us that we're supposed to make life more leisurely have made us more frantic, right? And I think about, um, I think it was Tim Keller or someone who wrote, who wrote an article in the midst of the pandemic talking about how the washing machine, to, to think back to laundry, was supposed to just free up time. And the, the early advertisements for washing machines and dryers, uh, admittedly before my time, but were all about the leisure that they would create. And ultimately, they're there and they're effective and they're efficient, but they haven't really created a lot of leisure. Like we 
are still frantic and in fact probably more frantic now than we were before they were invented because things happen faster and we expect it to be done and we want it to be dried in 20 minutes and not 25 and like we're just always in a hurry the gospel frees us from that striving it also frees us from the arrogance or the self-righteousness that comes with my job is x right i'm the manager or i'm the ceo or i'm the general manager or i'm not that and so now i'm below that person in some way like it, it takes that, it strips those titles away, right? We're all equal before Christ. We're all the same child of God in his eyes, by, bought by the blood of Christ. And so whatever our role is, whatever our vocation or our job is, whether it's, you know, a, a bellhop in New York, I think is one of the examples in the book, or, um, you know, the uh, guy that came back to run Starbucks, uh, employee engagement and at that kind of level of senior executive fortune whatever company um, like it doesn't matter we're all on equal playing field um, in the eyes of God and so we're no one is more righteous or more um, deserving of God's favor and God's love than anybody else so um, I don't know I get caught up in the rat race often um, it's something that I am it's one of those rotten fruits that I am tempted to go back to and eat of often because I'm an achievement oriented, goal oriented, type A, like I want to do more. I want to change the world. I want to change my little world. Um, and then I got to remember that it's not my little world. Um, but so vocation in the gospel. Um, the second is vocation as an, our work as an act of love. Um, and there's a, there's a quote on page 65 that really, um, Stood, another quote that really stood out to me, and it's um, right at the top of the page. It's actually him quoting Dorothy Sayers. But um, the essential modern heresy being that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the service of society, but only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. So what she's saying is, like, we believe that work is something that we do to obtain money and leisure. Right? It's all about me and garnering and building and hoarding and buying all a bunch of stuff. It's not that. It's more about our ability to, to harness God's creative energy and bring that into fruition in the world. It's about being able to work with God to create order and systems. And, you know, I can't fell a tree and build a chair like they talk about in the chapter, but ultimately somebody else can, and I get to benefit from that or till a garden and have strawberries actually grow. Um, but like we get to, um, create these things that are, um, worthy of love that are expressions of God's love for us in the work that we do. Um, and then the last thing, you know, and Frankie, you kind of talked about this is work is a ministry of competence. Like we as Christians should be the best workers. Like we should be the most diligent. We should be the most perfection oriented detail-oriented, quality-oriented workers in the environment that we work in because we're working as unto the Lord. Not because it's about our own um, achievement, right? We just talked about that. Not because it's about our own ability to say, hey, look at me, I sold the most or I grew the account the most. It's about what the Lord bears in fruit, but ultimately we work for Him. And our, our goal in the, the parable of the talents is to generate that reward and to be good at what we do and the Lord will enable that, but ultimately, 
like we have to be diligent in the work that we do. And so um, the section that talks about, you know, this section of the ministry of competence um, really talks about how our attitude and perspective in our work should be one of, I do want to be the best, but not for my own attainment, right? Not for my own achievement. It's for the ability to enable others. It's for the ability to see God's order and creativity and structure come to fruition. And so I will be, you know, the best, diligent, on time, communicative, patient, forgiving employee that that I can be by the grace of God. Um, I, I want to interject a yeah. little bit right there. Um, competence is like uh, better or worse, like super, super high value uh, to me. Just how I'm wired, the way like I. Um, I work for a lead team of consultants, so like consultants, you expect them to be competent, right? You're sending them out there to be the experts, right? So there's a little bit of that that's kind of baked in that's, that's domain-specific. Um, that competence, there's a fine line there of not valuing people for their competence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should, that ministry of competence, we should strive to be good and be the best we can be at what we do. But at the same time, remember that our value and other people's value especially, and I say this because it's such a a point that I have to remind myself of, other people's value is not in their competence. It is in the fact that they're an image bearer of God, right? So um, I've actually got a a team member who uh, consistently gets very frustrated in a, uh, in a, a, a support role, very frustrated with, other people whose competencies are dull in different areas, um, but are fantastic in others. And just that, um, it has become a good reminder for me of valuing people for who they are and what uh, their, uh, well, who they are as people, right? And then remembering that competencies are unique to how each of us is gifted. And those things are always different, so to expect everyone to be able to do X at the same level uh, and be frustrated with them or disappointed with them or diminish their value or perception of their worth based on that is an easy, easy slope for me to start to slide down. Uh, that going back to dignity is undignifying uh, and, and in opposition to the reality of the image of God that is on anybody that, that I work with whether they're a believer or not. So um, that, that competence factor just always comes in, in, in my mind with that little bit of asterisk of a reminder because I can value people solely for what they can produce, which is exact opposite of everything in this chapter. So, yeah. You know, I think the, one of the areas in the, in the chapter that I remember, but unfortunately I didn't highlight it because, um, anyways... Uh, is where it talks about how, like, as believers, we should be the utmost at recognizing that everyone across a society, across our culture, across our workplace, can bring value. Because ultimately, we know that we have no standing and no value apart from Christ. And so, whether it's an unbeliever or not, and especially, I think the way that Keller puts it is a lot better than, I'm going to try to paraphrase, but like unbeliever or not, and especially for unbelievers, we see the value of the work that they do, not as their ultimate value, but through the lens of where we get our own value, 
which is purely from a gift of grace. Nothing we've earned, nothing we've produced, nothing that we've whitewashed or cleaned ourselves up with, but ultimately what God has given us is what gives us our standing before him, and we long for that for others. And so their ability to produce in their role, whatever it is, wherever they're sharp or and or dull, is, is ultimately a gift that they've been given as well um, and a competency that they should pursue. So um, as we think about work and service uh, or work as service, um, how, does, um, how does this idea of work as a calling um, fit with your idea of the work that you do? Um, do you feel like you were called to where you are and where you work? Um, or, or do you, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, I was, uh, I was doing the audio thing like you recommended because I didn't have time to read it. But yeah. I literally almost pulled my car over and heard this one part. It, it really stuck out to me. It's page 70. Um, he's talking with this dictum, but he said that uh, if it's true, then you have to choose between work that benefits more people and work that pays you more. Should seriously consider the job that pays less and helps more, particularly if you can be great at it. It means that all jobs, not merely so-called helping professionals, are fundamentally ways above your neighbor. And I feel like that's something I really struggle with, like my entire career in life. Like I'm always like, you know, everybody's making more money, and like maybe I should leave this and go do that to make more money. Or, you know, I got to, uh, you know, train a group of missionaries to go to the Middle East um, a few months ago. And I'm hearing all these stories like, I have nothing, and I'm going over here to share Christ, and I'm living off nothing. It's like, oh, well, maybe I should jump out of this and go to missionary field and live off nothing because I'm being selfish. You know, like these thoughts, you know, I feel like I struggled them back and forth, you know, is going through my career from beginning towards where I'm now. It's this constant battle of, you know, should I, should I be seeking a job that makes more, or should I be doing what I really enjoy? And that really struck that, you know, uh, a nail on the head for me, like, I should be focusing on what I really enjoy, what I'm good at, and serving God the best. You know, I don't know if I always look at it as loving my neighbor, but I mean, we should be. I know that's what they're yeah. telling us to do, but yeah, it makes a lot more sense when you put that that uh, statement out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Anybody else about how your work is a calling um, affects the job uh, or the job that you choose? I think one, one moment I have where the, that concept kind of stuck out to me was I was unloading a truck um, with my assistant man. I was the general manager and his assistant manager. And I knew this kid since he was in high school. So he kind of grew up in high school. And and we did, I, like, I never, like, sat down, like, I'm going to be your mentor. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check in with you every so often. We just kind of talked about life together. And so we're loading this truck. And he goes, hey, Jason, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend. And I go, dude, that's awesome. Congratulations. And the next part, it kind of humbled me. But at the same time, he's like, I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for you. And that's what struck me. I'm like, okay, I'm not just selling sandwiches. Like these kids are, are, are watching what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And I never, it really never dawned on me. I never really kind of was like, I'm going to be your mentor and, 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 
and and guide you along life's path. I was just kind of like just doing life with him, and it just that's when I was like, okay, there's God's called me to do more than just sell chicken sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about ministry as being confidence, but the two sentences in the previous um, section on page 67, there may be no better way to love your neighbor, whether you are writing parking tickets, software, or books, than to simply do your work. But only skillful, confident work will do. Right? To me, like, you know, I, I know nothing about semiconductors. I don't really know what's around me when I was talking about that. I can, I can work on a car, but not a Mercedes. You know, like, all of us rely on each other so much yeah. uh, in, in how we how we can actually you know, run our families and our businesses and everything else. And I think as we're doing this, I think you know, what struck me through, through some of this is just the fact that like we're all called, uh, like the parable you know, in the New Testament talks about, you know, we can't all be arms, we can't all be eyes, we can't all be different parts of the body, right? We all have our different needs, gifting and everything else. And we all rely on each other. So as you, um, you know, one thing that I, I, didn't, I forgot to read was uh, as this chapter kind of closes on page 71, um, that the end of the last paragraph, it says, Your work is ultimately an act of worship to the God who called and equipped you to do it, no matter what kind of work it is. Um, and, and so when was the last time that God allowed you to see the splendor of his glory through your work. You know, Brian talked a little bit about it, about his trip on Monday. But what's a what's another example where the Lord is allowing you to see how he's gifted you um, in the work that you do? Awesome. Do you get to see very frequently where some of those kids go after school, after high school, where they end up in life? Um, not really. I mean, it's uh, and that's one one thing uh, with you know I teach every day. I see 135 kids, um, so I can't like you know I'm good if I remember their name the next year. Yeah, I don't remember their name currently, but next year like they come in, I'm like have to go through. <coughs> 
had one conversation and I, I can kind of follow up a little bit. Uh, but it's it's hard to like occasionally there's a couple that I'll keep up with, but not for that. I was the kid who was always in trouble. My teachers remember my oh, name. On behalf of every kid that's like me, sorry. Um, what are what are some ways that God has allowed you to see His glory through your work? When I first got to the star, I was at, where I'm at now. A couple of years ago, we had a kid who was um, struggling in, in his department. Managers didn't really care for him. Um, so we kind of moved him around, and we got him in another department that he kind of in a task that fit his personality better. Um, he's he's an assistant manager now, and you know, in line to get promoted to department manager probably pretty soon. And so he came back to the store, and we had a good conversation about. Um, he's also uh, he's having a kid now, and just so just kind of. I was reflecting the other day when he came in, just kind of what that meant for his family, and mm-hmm. God just kind of revealed that. And, and every now and then you get those moments to where you realize what you're actually doing, that all the little tasks and all day that um, the people around you are are the work and, and yeah. what the role is. So um, that was fun and kind of a fulfilling moment. Yeah, that's awesome. think about it until now that that's essentially is cultivating if you if you were pretty good at something you ran into a little jam if you were able to find out more knowledge about it apply it and now you're better at it and then that just keeps going on and on and on yeah and actually to go back to the voice comment it's combating right like that's combating complacency and chaos and pushing forward with yeah um, this microphone than I did. pushing forward with <laughs> doing and doing well because it's good to do well because it's just a right thing to do whether it's just I mean I like to learn stuff to learn stuff right um, even that is uh, we're cultivating in ourselves and our own skill sets and, and, and you doing that like uh, that's combating the chaos and fighting back the encroachment of the weeds that will prevent fruit One thing that comes to my mind, um, one of my favorite visits is the newborn visit. Because <laughs> I feel like, you know, see these parents who are exhausted and a lot of times, especially with the first child, just not really sure what on earth to do with this little one. And I feel like it's a really unique space where, you know, I get to kind of step in and usually I don't have very many questions, but I go through all these like, oh, is this and that? And this is normal and this is not. and. Um, and it's like even just from that newborn visit to like by the time they're hitting two months, just seeing those transformations, growth and comfort, okay, we can do this, you know, we're still alive. Um, just seeing those transitions in the parents' confidence over time, I feel like it's always a huge blessing. And I think even sometimes just little pickups, like 
you know, the moms who just look like they're struggling more than the others, and you know, maybe got a little bit of postpartum depression and stuff like that going on, and really being able to like get you some help, you can get through yeah. this, and um, so that's one of those visits that I really like to, even when there's not time, find the time to run through all those extra little things so that even if you just remember one thing, you feel a little bit more able to yeah. approach this, you know, yeah. little one. <laughs> that's awesome. higher level thinking was, was more well thought upon than the meager task. And the Bible really kind of tells the exact opposite of that. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to park on that for a second and yeah. talk about that. That kind of stuck out to me. So I'm like, okay, you know, should, I'm selling sandwiches um, mm-hmm. in my own way. And, um, you know, it, it, how is that serving the kingdom of God? Okay. Um, I've got the hardback, so all the pages don't matter. But right before the vocation of the gospel, page 71 in my book, which is worthless for y'all, to that end, Jason, the quote from Luther, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. I think a factor that makes that harder to a degree for us today is the disconnection that we have just in our society from who is doing a lot of the work at at more so, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to use it in the more menial jobs, right? Versus what we see and what is glorified is what is spotlighted is typically the um, the more white collar, you know, whatever, you know, the, the higher class jobs are the ones that uh, I, I might even say arguably we sort of push people towards because culturally that's the good thing to do right that's where you you know um, you want to be a lawyer awesome well I want to I want to pump septic tanks right like there's a guy in our church that owns a septic tank company thank God somebody's cleaning septic tanks right like that's that, that that's ministry right and, and serving your neighbor through those work but to your point those are not the things that we often end up celebrating uh, patting our kids on the back for it. Now, my kids are not that old, but like, you know, all right, great. You want to you wanna pump septic tanks? Cool. But by God's grace, somebody came up with that technology and has a way to do it that literally probably keeps people from dying, right? Just because of, of what it is that we just, I think we so easily miss. And because we miss it, we end up I don't want to say devaluing it, but just not valuing it out of a lack of, a, of awareness. Um, so that's a, that's a great, great point to, to stop and think about. Um, and even just like day to day, how many things do I not even realize somebody has, has done work so that my life is simple and convenient and easy, right, that, that I might not ever know. I mean, I think it talks, it talks about it in chapter four, like the truck driver that delivers food, right? And that's a little more apparent these days as you walk around and half the shelves are empty and like you feel it's, it's just a different environment, but like those roles, which kind of went unrecognized or unappreciated, like 
those are important parts of the culture that we exist in. And so is making a sandwich and the accessibility of food and teaching people how to do that and training high school kids to be able to work because nobody's doing that. And there are lots of other businesses out there that are going to rely on those high school kids eventually to know how to work. Um, and they're not uh, all equipped with this. I think we were joking about the generations that need to figure out how to work earlier before everybody got here. But, um, you know, like that's part of the work that you do and, and the role that you're in is you provide them with that entry level opportunity to to grow or, ex or even just exist. Right. They don't have to grow. It's not about the growth. And so there is no um, I, I look at the the idea of organizational charts history nerd coming out was an was a advent uh in the second world war like organizational charts before that were actually inverted the people were on the top because that's where all the work happened and so those people were the apparent part of the organizational chart the rest of it was at the bottom and we inverted it during the second world war with generals and whatever and structure and the industrialization of war and Sorry, that's a weird, weird tangent, but like ultimately, like that um, that philosophy of white collar work or higher valued work or the service economy um, or banking or whatever investment banking, like there is this philosophy in our world that that's the that's the aspirational goal. But like it's it he talks about it in the book, like the kids that are running towards those jobs out of college, like they're finding them empty. And they're they're big on the bank account side, but they're empty on the value and the redemption and the opportunity to see the gifts of God in the work that they're doing. Um, so not to belittle that work because it's kind of what I do, but ultimately, like that's um, that's a real challenge is the the um, farce that is this idea of white and blue collar. Right? It's no different than sacred and secular. It's both, it's false. Like ultimately it's, it's, it, it, it shows no value or indicates no value in the work that the person generates and it shouldn't speak to that value, but we impute value as a culture to it that is falsely placed. Um, and so it's, it's the idea of like knowing the janitor as much as you know the person who is the CEO of the company and know their name and what they do and about their kids, like having that perspective of like the value of the work that people provide is not based on the type or title or industry or glamour that our society assigns to the work because all of it's valuable. All of it cultivates something, whether it's software or microchips or wires or pet stuff or whatever.